Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading this morning is from Mark uh, chapter six, and it, there are two sections. It's verses 30 to 34 and then jumps to 53 to 56. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And as he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And now 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. I want to talk today about healing. Uh, last week, those of you who were here, you'll remember that I spoke a little bit about exorcism. Uh, so I'm, I'm tackling all, all the biggies at the moment. But first, uh, let's think about the market, because I want to talk about healing in the marketplace. You can hear, can't you, the cries of the London market. Roll up, roll up, roll up, two for a penny, three for a pound, cheap at half the price, get them while they're hot, eat them while they're fresh, here today, gone tomorrow, guaranteed to last for the lifetime of the product, and so on. The, if you think that was convincing, there is a reason. If you think it was unconvincing, I'm sorry. Um, the traditional cries of the market trader have echoed through the streets of London for many centuries, and the great markets of Petticoat Lane and Camden Lock and Borough and Covent Garden and so more uh, and so many more remain a kind of must-see part of a tourist's visit to London, just as much as uh, the great museums or art galleries. Some of you will know that when I was in my late teens, I spent a year running a market stall on Camden Market. And for a young man from the pleasant and leafy town of Sevenoaks, this was, I can tell you, something of an eye-opener. It was at Camden Market that I first encountered the huge ethnic and social diversity that is such a feature of this great city. And it was at Camden Market that I worked alongside and became friends with people from so many different cultural backgrounds. It was also at Camden Market that I first encountered the shadier side of London life, uh, with the under-the-counter trade in drugs, a regular feature of some of the stalls around mine, and hand on heart, I can say that uh, I didn't ever inhale. No, uh, that's not the point. Um, it was at Camden Market that I was for the first time in my life physically threatened uh, as a man with a broken off bottle, weaved it in my face and demanded my takings. And it was at Camden that I experienced the strong bond between stallholders as those from neighbouring stalls came to my rescue. It was in many ways on Camden Market that I first experienced as a kind of 18, 19 year old, some of the breadths and the depths and the highs and the lows of that aspect of life. 
There were days spent freezing in the snow, others, like today, sweating in the heat. There were days where I earned good money. There were days where I sold nothing. It was, as they say, one of life's formative experiences. And it left me with a sense that in some strange way, the whole of life could be found represented in the market. Riches and poverty, friendship and violence, suffering and rejoicing, all present in the market, a microcosm of life. And for those of you who are wondering, I sold Indonesian clothing, which my aunt imported in what was, I now realise with hindsight, a forerunner of the fair trade movement. She'd been to Indonesia and discovered these wonderful fabrics such as batik and ikat, and in a micro-enterprise, she employed local tradespeople to create Western-style clothes with Indonesia, from Indonesian materials, which she then sold through a few market stalls. And everyone she dealt with in Indonesia was paid a fair price for their work. Everyone was known to her personally. Her particular engagement with the global marketplace sought to bring life and justice to those involved. Some years later, I became aware of things like the fair trade movements, and I thought, gosh, my aunt was there some decades before that became a thing. The same, of course, could not be said for some of the other traders, from drugs to knockoff CDs, from immigrant workers to pickpockets and thieves. There were those who found the market a place of oppression or cutthroat opportunity. As I said, the whole of life experienced through the microcosm of the market. And to bring us back to the present, we seem to be hearing quite a lot about the market these days as well, don't we? I'm thinking of some of the stuff that we've been hearing coming out of the G7 meeting down in Cornwall. What about the freedom of the markets? How are the markets doing? If we read the newspapers or watch the TV, it's not very long until we hear someone on the news talking about the state of the markets. And of course, what they mean by this is the global marketplace, the financial markets of London, Tokyo and New York and so on, where what is bought and sold is neither fairly traded Indonesian clothing, nor fake Rolexes, nor stolen goods. But hang on a minute. Perhaps the global markets around the world are not so far removed from my own experience of Camden Market all those decades ago. We find good people and criminals side by side in the market, with the whole of human life reflected there as part of the financial and economic systems which drive our world. And I think there can be little doubt that a sickness of great seriousness has affected the health of many of our global financial institutions. Whether we're talking about the European debt crisis that continues to affect European countries, or the global debt cycles of boom and bust, which allow banks and hedge funds and the super rich to lend money irresponsibly, exploiting those in developing countries, or whether we're talking about the extortionate rates paid to British farmers by UK supermarkets. The marketplaces of the world are sick, and those affected by this sickness are laid out for all to see as the poor get poorer, the health programmes fail, as countries slide into recession, as jobs get scarce, as benefits are reduced, as the environmental impact is exploited and international aid payments are threatened. It's a disgrace, isn't it? 
cutting the international aid budget. The sickness of the markets takes a very real toll on the very real lives of very real people. And I, I'm going to put this quite boldly. When the markets become infected in this way, I think they become what I would want to call using religious Christian language, a satanic entity. The market can acquire a life of its own, which rampages its way around the world, demanding that all must worship it and leaving a trail of devastation in its wake. But I don't believe it has to be this way. The market becomes the strong man we spoke about last week, who fills his house with good things at the expense of those who have less. And this is nothing new. We might be experiencing it in this way for the first time in human history, but the tendency of financial markets to enter into alliances with those who hold military strength, to extract wealth from the world for the benefit of the few, is no new thing. Something very similar was happening in the first century with the Roman Empire, which bestrode the world as a financial and military colossus, dominating the markets of the first century and extracting its tribute at every turn. So if you went to a marketplace in Israel in the first century, you would find a sickness in that market, every bit as real and devastating as that which we are experiencing today. The Roman Empire imposed punitive taxes, which made the poor poorer and the rich richer. And whether you were in a city or a village or a farmyard, there was no escaping the infection that the Roman Empire had placed in the financial and trading markets of those countries that Rome had occupied. And so we come to Jesus and the world that he was living in. The Pharisees knew all about the sickness of the marketplace, and these religious leaders of the Jews went to great lengths to ensure that they didn't become infected themselves. So in chapter 7, just a few verses on from our reading this morning from Mark's Gospel, we're told in uh, Mark 7, 3 to 4, that the Pharisees do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. For the Pharisees, and for those Jews who followed their teaching, there was no separation between physical cleanness and spiritual cleanness. They didn't simply wash the goods from the market to get the germs off, in the way that we might wash an apple before eating it. For them, the ritual washing of goods purchased in the market was about the ritual cleansing of tainted goods which had been bought with tainted money in a marketplace where all kind, the wrong kinds of people were at large. The Pharisees wanted as little contact as possible with the ritually and spiritually unclean Gentiles, with those whose spiritual lives might not measure up to their own exacting standards. And where they needed produce from the markets that might have been grown by farmers who were more interested in the next harvest than in regular synagogue attendance, or which might have been traded by merchants who also dealt with Romans and Greeks as well as Jews, or who made the required offerings of worship to the emperor so they could trade in the markets of the empire, 
Well, under those circumstances, the Pharisees needed some way of distancing themselves from this ritual uncleanness. And so the washing of food was part of this ritual of cleansing, making kind of real in the world their belief that they were more holy before God than those they contacted in the uncleanness of the marketplace. And so we get to Jesus in our gospel reading for this morning. And let's hear that verse from Mark chapter six again. Wherever Jesus went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. So do you notice what's different here about Jesus compared to the Pharisees? Jesus goes into the marketplaces, and rather than becoming himself then infected with the sickness of the market by touching the wrong person or handling the wrong thing, as, as the Pharisees were afraid of. Rather than himself becoming unclean, Jesus brings healing and wholeness to those whom he meets in the marketplaces. And the healing he brings is offered absolutely without condition across every social sphere of first century society. He goes to the marketplaces in the cities, in the villages, in the rural areas, and in each market he enters, he encounters those who are sick, those who are unclean, those who are lacking wholeness, those who feel dislocated from their society, those who have been pushed away from society because of something about them. And in every case, Jesus restores them, healing them, and making them whole. And here we find the same blurring of the boundary between physical and spiritual sickness and physical and spiritual healing that we meet so often in the Gospels. For the ancient Jews, body and soul were not so easily separated as those of us who are the heirs of Platonic dualism seem to manage. Modern medicine is just, I think, beginning to come around to the fact that when you treat somebody, you don't just treat their body with pills, you treat them holistically, because you get a better result that way. The ancient Jews knew that we are not separated as body and spirit. And so the healing that Jesus brought to the markets of Israel involved the whole person, body, mind and spirit, as those who had been infected by the sicknesses of the market were restored to physical health, to spiritual well-being, and therefore also to their right place in society. And I would venture to suggest that the same is, or at least should be, true today. Too often, certain strands of Christianity have become fixated on the notion of healing in the name of Jesus as a miraculous restoration of health. They seek this whenever a human body starts to show the inevitable signs of its eventual degeneration and mortality. The difficulty with that kind of approach to healing is that it sets in place a whole host of fake expectations. Because the reality is that not everyone who is sick gets better. 
And even if they pray a lot and have a lot of faith, eventually all of us are going to shuffle off this mortal coil in one way or another. I really don't have a lot of time for the sort of prayers for healing that treat Jesus as a kind of magic wand to fix whatever ails you. But then there are other strands of Christianity that have become fixated on the healing of the soul, where what matters most is whether your heart is right with God. And the present evil age is just something to be endured whilst waiting to depart and be with the Lord as we fly off to heaven. And the difficulty with this is that it creates an environment where all that matters is saving a person's eternal soul. Well, the meeting of their physical needs becomes neglected or only marginally better met as long as the person takes some steps towards spiritual conversion. Think of those approaches to missions where you, you, you could access the good things that were being brought as long as you converted to Christianity. Highly abusive. But then there are other strands of Christianity that have become fixated on the physical needs and meeting the physical needs of the vulnerable and the disadvantaged um, and the kind of social gospel Christianity that have poured all their efforts into programmes designed to alleviate poverty and address homelessness and care for the alien in the land. And the problem with this is that it becomes too easy to just focus on meeting the presenting problem without also shining the light of the gospel of Christ into troubled hearts and souls. And so whilst the immediate need is met, the person's long-term spiritual woundedness remains unhealed. And then there are other strands of Christianity again, which take the approach adopted by the Pharisees, who have minimal contact with those who are spiritually unclean or physically sick, lest they themselves might become infected with unholiness in the process. None of these approaches, it seems to me, capture the healing that Jesus brought to the markets of Israel in the first century. You know, the, the you must be healed. That's just magic. The I'm just going to focus on your physical well-being and not address your spiritual needs. It has some merit, but it's not very holistic. And so on. None of these approaches I've outlined that I've encountered in churches captures the healing that Jesus seeks to bring to the markets of our own troubled world. The Pharisee option, tempting though it may be on occasions to remain cloistered in some holy Christian clique, is not ultimately an option for us because the needs of our sick and damaged world are too pressing for us to ignore. As we, the people of Jesus, who claim to be his disciples, seek to live out the approach of Jesus in our own lives, we need to be willing to enter the market in his name, to bring healing and wholeness to those we meet there. And the healing of Jesus that we proclaim will not be simply a healing of the soul, which ignores the plight of the body, Neither will it be a tending of the body which ignores the plight of the soul, and neither will it be a promise that death can be cheated while health and wealth are maintained through prayer. None of those. The healing that we can bring to the markets of our world in the name of Jesus will be a healing that embraces sickness and death 
and in so doing robs them of their power to render human souls unclean. The ultimate healing message of Jesus is that you are not unclean. You are loved, you are welcome, you are accepted, you are valued. From that springs everything else. So the healing that Christ longs to bring to the market of our world is a healing that restores the soul and brings wholeness to the physical situations we encounter. Healing that subverts the sicknesses of the market to set in place life-giving alternatives which value the individual at each stage of the economic cycle of life. So here's the thing, imagine I need a new item of clothing, say a t-shirt. I could, if I wanted, take a gun and point it at the man who makes t-shirts and order him to make me one at a pittance. But I'm a civilised person, I don't want to do that, I don't own a gun. I wouldn't even like the idea of someone doing it on my behalf. But I'm also a consumer, so I'll buy my t-shirt from the market, choosing the one that is best value for money. And in this instance, the market becomes the man with the gun acting on my behalf. This is the sickness of the market. It domesticates violence and it makes us all complicit in the process. And healing in this situation starts to look like some kind of system similar to the micro business run by my aunt 30 years ago. And so we come to the importance of the fair trade movement and the various systems that it has spawned. We're working on an ethical shopping policy for Bloomsbury that we'll be bringing to the church meeting in July, looking at how the way we as a community use our money and our resources in personal and corporate ways can bring life and healing to the marketplace. So, for example, I know that my Baptist minister's pension scheme, that my fund is invested in the ethical fund, that is available through my pension fund. Small choice on my part, but it makes a big difference. I know that my savings are invested with Triodos Bank, an ethical bank. I know that my current account is with Nationwide, who consistently score as one of the best banks in terms of ethical uh, reporting with the Ethical Consumer magazine. Now, I'm, I'm just giving you a couple of examples. Uh, as a church, we invest in ethical policies. So our church investments are held with an ethical fund. Those, there are things we can do as we enter the marketplaces of the world which bring healing and not death. But here's another thing. There is a trade in human beings that takes place around the world and it is predicated on an industry that is on our doorstep here in Bloomsbury. You don't have to walk very far that way before I'm told uh, you can find yourself in a brothel. Of course they're not called that, you know, high-class massage parlour or whatever. But the trade in human beings that takes place around the world that is predicated on the sex industry leads to people being trafficked to service that market in sexual exploitation. Now, I am not about to get all prudish. 
But I cannot help but notice that sex sells, and one of the things that sex sells is human beings. And I wonder what it would mean to enter that marketplace to bring healing in the name of Christ. So as we conclude this sermon about what healing in the marketplace might look like in our world, we're going to uh, meet and hear from a real world example. So I'm really hoping that we've got Emily joining us uh, down the line. Some of you will remember Emily. Uh, Emily has been to Bloomsbury a few times in the past over the years to talk to us about the organisation she founded called Ella's Home. And Emily is here. So Emily, can we hear you? Say hi. Hi. Can you we hear me? Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. This is where oh, great. <laughs> it looks like you're I'm, in a lovely sunny place. Um, I'm sat outside a coffee shop. Yeah, this is um, a bit unusual. There's building works happening outside my flat and it is so noisy um, that I thought I'd come to my local coffee shop, but it's also a bit noisy here too. So I'm that's sorry nice. about that. Um, no, that's great. And I, I don't know if you just heard the yeah. end of the sermon, but I was talking about ways of bringing healing into the marketplace and particularly the way that the, the sex industry market. Could you tell us a little bit about Ella's and, and what work you do there? Yeah, I did hear what you said, Simon. I, I wrote that down, actually. You said healing, we can bring healing and not death. And I, I yeah, I think that's beautiful. And we absolutely can. And um, yeah, so Ella's, um, we... Uh, I'm sure a number of you have, uh, there have heard about Ella's. I've, I've been to Bloomsbury a few times and we are so support, um, so grateful for the support that you've given us over the years. Um, we set up our first home in 2016 um, in East London and it's to provide sort of long-term intensive support for uh, women who are exiting situations of um, sexual exploitation and trafficking. Um, and then we opened a second home in 2019 in South London. Um, and uh, again, for, the, for women um, um, escaping and recovering from that kind of trauma. And we also work with women around London, um, again, doing sort of long-term support. Um, so supporting women through uh, getting into uh, getting medical help, uh, mental health support, um, education, employment, um, training, uh, what else? Immigrations. So a lot of the, the, we we work with women literally from around the world um, who have been um, abused, trafficked, exploited here in the UK. Um, a lot of the women we work with are British as well, uh, you know, as well. Um, but yeah, so it's women international, but also um, affecting women um, from the UK. Um, what else do you want to know? What else can I tell you? Um, so how many women are you working with at any one time? Um, so I've actually just, <laughs> another thing why I'm not used to the Zoom at the moment. I've been off work for two months and it's my first day, two and a half months. It's my first day back tomorrow. Um, I've had a little sabbatical, which has been amazing. Um, but So figures, I should have had pulled these up, but I think it is around about 35 at any one time, quite intensive support, well, very intensive support. Um, so we set up really to fulfill a gap within the UK, which is for this long-term aftercare. Um, there is um, 
sort of short-term support for those identified as having been trafficked within the UK. But what we saw was this need to provide sort of ongoing support because anybody who has um, been exploited in that way, um, healing sadly doesn't come quickly. You know, it's um, for some, it will be maybe even a lifelong process. So, um, so our, but our purpose is to walk with people alongside them till that point of yeah, healing and um, restoration. And I mean, I could spend, you know, the rest of the morning, well, nearly at the end of the morning, the rest of the day telling you stories of, you know, women who um, you've worked with who are now living their lives independently, but also beautifully in that they um, support others. And, you know, lots of the women that we work with, a lot of what they hope to do is to help and um, encourage other women who've been through similar situations. Um, I'm just, uh, when I go back next week, I'll be connecting uh, one of the women we've worked with for a long time. When we, we first started working with her, um, she was sort of top of our safeguarding, you know, concerns, uh, very concerned that, you know, she, um, she was just in a very, very vulnerable situation. Um, and yeah, we, we were concerned that of what she may um, do to herself and um, even her children. Um, but these days she's started her own business. And um, she, so the reason I'll be connecting with her next week, she's creating some wedding party favours for um, a couple that are hopefully getting married if they still can, uh, you know, with the res um, restrictions um, in July. And, um, you know, she's, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even know. Uh, she's unrecognisable from the person she was maybe just five years ago. Um, so anyway, there, I mean, I, as I said, like countless stories, and that's what gives me hope that there's just um, people who have gone through the very worst um, and, yeah, maybe were at a point of death and close to that, but um, have found healing and um, restoration and, and hope. Emily, every time I hear you talk about Ella's, it is uh, an incredibly inspiring uh, story. Um, I, I know you, you'd want to encourage people to have a look at your website. I, I was looking at the story yeah. of Lucia, I think, on your website this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yes, please, yeah, please do look at our website. It's ellas.org.uk. And um, you can find us on social media under the same handle, I think, ellas.org.uk. Yeah. How, how, how can we support you further? Um, uh, well, it, there's ways to set up and give uh, um, on a monthly basis or, or a one-off, whatever. Again, that can all be found on the website. Um, often we'll put up on our social media specific ways that um, people might be able to get involved, whether that's through a campaign of some kind or um, a particular need or a different... Um, volunteers I think there was um, a call for some specific volunteers recently in, the in these couple of months that I've been off so yeah there's all sorts of different ways like that and um, and if you want to receive our newsletter you could sign up for that so ways to pray for our work and support us in that way too. So you're, you're a Christian yeah. uh, a Christian charity or Christian inspired charity is that right? Yes that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Emily um, 
thank you thank you for coming uh, to spend this time with us this morning from your coffee shop um <laughs> very very grateful every time Emma oh. comes to do anything at bloomsbury it's always a little bit unusual um we've got a few <laughs> stories from uh, there was a memorable evening with um what was his name the boxer uh, Chris um, yeah. That was that was a weird evening, but but that um, was we, epic, we, we, yeah. what you're doing is amazing, and uh, you know I know there are individuals in the church who who support you and will continue to do so, and I hope that others will check out the website, check out your social media, and become supporters of Ella's as well. So thank you for uh, being with us. Uh, we're going to move no, on. Thank you so now. much. But, so I'll okay. bring you back to your back to your coffee and your other. Oh, <laughs> no, thank you so much. Thank you all. All right. Bye. Bye. Hi. So we're going to uh, have a moment of silence and I'd invite you to hold in your minds the thickness of the markets of our world and consider where the light of Christ and the healing of Christ is needed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. We gather as a people of faith and people of doubt. Some seeking solace and rest, some seeking energy and renewal. All of us seeking connection. May our community be a place where such things are found. As we, continue to, as we continue to explore what it means to be your people of creation. May we be reminded of our responsibilities. Let us be ever mindful of our mandate to make the circle wider, to make room for one another for the stranger, for the unknown, for the holy, which comes to us so often in ordinary ways. May we have the strength to hold ourselves and one another in love. Our hearts this morning are with those who we know who are poorly and have ongoing health concerns. And we particularly remember Elsie and other members of our congregation. We hold in our hearts those who are caregivers to a sick or loved one. We pray they have strength and know peace in amidst a difficult time. We also hold in our hearts those who care for newborns and toddlers. May they have wisdom and strength. Loving God, help us find common ground with those who stand for justice, who sit for justice who kneel on the football pitch for justice, who write letters, speak to representatives and use the arts to amplify the message for justice. 
knowing the world is not yet what it could be. Teach us not to trip over the small wants and grievances when so many of us, when so many need us to be so much more than our smaller selves. Help us to bring healing and not death. Knowing loving God, you are hearing us better than what I am speaking. We offer these prayers in the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So may the blessing of Almighty God, creator, redeemer and sustainer, be with you all evermore. Amen.